Hey, Culture and Conversations family. I'm your host, Jameson Smallwood, and I'm about to make you part of the conversation. Hey, guys, before we get too far into this episode of Culture and Conversations, please go by iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform and leave Culture and Conversations a five-star review. Every review helps, and every rating that you leave tells somebody else that Culture and Conversations is worth listening to. Up next on Culture and Conversations, I'm going to talk about living with a public persona on the internet, such as in being a celebrity, and I'm also going to talk with you guys and share a conversation that I had with my good friend, Melanie Williams. Melanie is an attorney in the Atlanta metro area, and she stops by the Culture and Conversations podcast to talk about her career, why did she choose to work in law, and tell you about her new law firm that she is starting up very soon. All this and more on the Culture and Conversations podcast. And yeah, I killed that introduction. Woo! Yes, I'm your host, Jameson Smallwood, and this is Culture and Conversations. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for downloading. Thank you guys for sharing Culture and Conversations on your social media timeline. And do me a favor. If you know somebody who listens to podcasts and they are within earshot of you when you're listening to this podcast, be sure to recommend to them in-person Culture and Conversations as well. So I had this conversation like literally five minutes ago as of the recording of this episode. And I was talking with two friends who were sharing with me the story of Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade. They have basically been trying to conceive children and they finally gave birth via surrogate um, to their first child together. They the, That wasn't the story, right? The story we were talking about was that there were people trolling Gabrielle Union's Instagram post and setting fire to her comments, saying just ridiculous things about, uh, you know, well, weren't you, she wasn't pregnant. Where did the baby come from? Those kind of comments. Right. Um, and, and we were talking about some other aspects to Gabrielle Union's personality that are debatable. But the point I made in all of the, all of the back and forth discussion we were having about internet trolls is that if you live a public persona, in any way, shape, form, or fashion on the internet, you should expect to get negativity as well as positive comments. For me, this goes back to the nature of social media. I'm sharing my content on social media. It's not a neutral statement, right? I'm really saying when I post something on social media, please like this. I mean, I think that's why Facebook's terminology uh, Twitter's terminology, uh, Instagram's terminology, all of these platforms use a terminology in their user interactions around attention, around liking posts. And that's fine, right? You know, I'm not judgmental about people wanting attention and people to like their stuff. I mean, that's somewhat the nature of culture and conversations. I mean, if people don't support the show by liking it and sharing it, then, you know, the show's not going to be successful. So I think you have a right to pursue that. However, this is where I was making a differentiation from my friends in that I was saying that you also have to expect negativity. 
you know, as much as I think culture and conversations, for instance, is the greatest podcast in the world. I think it's, this thing is a great show. I think it's informative. I think it's insightful. I think it's entertaining. I think it's engaging. I think it's smart. I think it's all these, all these superlatives I use to describe my content that I produce on social, on social media, even around culture and conversations, as well as the podcast. I know there's somebody out there who doesn't like this show. And I know there's somebody out there who heard the show and said negative stuff about the show. I know there are people who see my posts on social media and roll their eyes and say, yo, here he is again, posting another, you know, podcast episode, right? And if the show gets to the point where the following is significant, then I'm sure people are going to come into the comments and start saying negative stuff. You know, I've, I've had people criticize the show in a, in a loving fashion, but it's still criticism. And I have to live with that negativity. And sometimes it grows and grows and grows depending on the size of the platform. And when you're a celebrity as famous as Gabrielle Union and you're in a celebrity marriage between Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade, yeah, you're going to deal with a larger amount of negativity because it scales based on your following. So, you know, while I may right now be at the stage of celebrity, quote unquote, where people will hear my show and roll their eyes or see the posts on social media and roll their eyes and just scroll past it and won't share it and won't like it. There's that level of of disinterest. It'll grow to the point where one day somebody's going to say something negative and they'll troll the comments and say something ugly about one of my guests or even about me and talk about my voice and talk about my diction and my stammering and you know, in the production quality, they'll say all these different things about culture and conversations. But at the end of the day, I have to be about that life because I'm putting out content with the intention that people will like it, with the hope and aspiration that people will like it. I'm trying to make people like it. And anytime you live off of the economy of attention, you've got to be willing to take losses in the form of trolls, in the form of haters, in the form of negativity. And that's just the world, the way it is. Um, you know, Gabrielle Union, you know, she is a celebrity. Her persona uh, and her celebrity go hand in hand. And she doesn't have the luxury because of this life that she lives to have millions of followers and then hope that all of them are going to say something positive. That's that's the point I was trying to make. And that's the larger point I was trying to make in this debate I was having with my friends. But uh, it got me passionate enough to make it my opening monologue for, for this episode of Culture and Conversations and share it with you. And I don't know, you know, you guys may hear this episode and disagree with me, which, you know, I support that because I like having conversation. Conversation doesn't mean that you always agree with what is said. But, you know, I have to understand just like. Anybody else who lives in the public space in any way that what I share with you is not just there for your approval and your and your your thumbs up, but it's also there for your criticism. And you may go as far as to encourage me, but I can't expect only to be encouraged because you're free to discourage me or try to discourage me. And that's where if I believe in what I'm doing, if I believe in my brand significantly enough then I'm going to continue to put out culture and conversations to the highest of my ability. And, and I, I, I love it. You know, I love that. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's my two cents about that whole, uh, situation with Gabrielle union and, uh, Dwayne Wade. Um, you know, it, it just is a situation where, you know, they're at a very joyous time in their life. They shared some very personal things 
about that time in their life. And yeah, most of the comments I'm sure are nice and congratulatory, but we live in a world where there are people who have miserable lives and they go around saying negative stuff, but you can't expect all roses and not expect to get pricked by some thorns in the process. So, all right, with that metaphor and that deep statement out the way, I want to introduce you guys to the guest that I have for this episode of Culture and Conversations, my friend Melanie Williams. Melanie is an attorney that I've had the privilege of knowing since my days back in high school. Uh, Melanie and I, we met during the Governor's Honors Program. Uh, the Governor's Honors Program is a state-run academic program for um, some of the best and the brightest minds in the state of Georgia. And uh, we have been friends ever since that program uh, through our days in college, uh, through our 20s, and now going into our, uh, our 30s, right? And uh, Melanie decided to stop by Culture and Conversations to share some insight into what it's like to be an attorney and also just to talk some things she's got going on in the entrepreneurial sense about uh, her business and her practice. So up next on Culture and Conversations, my conversation with an old friend, a very good friend, Melanie Williams, and she shares with you guys her experiences as an attorney and uh, gives us some funny insights, too, into her life helping people with the legal system. Hey, Culture and Conversations family, I want to introduce my friend, Melanie Williams. Melanie is a lawyer who is in the process of actually launching her own law firm, and I brought Melanie on to Culture and Conversations to be a part of the conversation so that we could kind of talk and chat about some different things going on in the larger, more popular legal space, but at the same time kind of help us as a people understand her background and, to, and how she got into being a lawyer. So Melanie, welcome to the conversation. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me, Jameson. Hey, cool, cool, cool. Me and Melanie go way back to uh, our time in the Governor's Honors Program, and that was the summer of 2000. So we have been knowing each other for going on 18 years. Wow, Jameson, don't say it like that. It makes me feel a little old. You know, maybe we should just say, you know, some time in the past. We've known each other quite some time. Yeah, I, I tell people I'm getting to become vintage. So I uh, I don't get old, I get vintage. So Yes. Yes, I, definitely. The difference between getting old versus becoming vintage is that things that get old don't get more valuable. Things that get become vintage, they become more valuable as they age. So <laughs> that's one. That's, like that. that's how I process I like it. So, that. so, I like that. so, Melanie, let me ask you a couple of questions to kind of get us going into our conversation for the audience. So, what led you into wanting to be a lawyer? Uh, there was a bunch of different things, um, Jameson. Um, well, the first thing was I wanted to help people, and um, I've always had a desire to, you know, for public service, um, public interest, public projects. Um, you know, I've been a pretty passionate person, even when, when you first met me, I was kind of, you know, radical, um, and I figured <laughs> with the law degree behind me, that would help me for sure. Um, and then the second thing I felt, you know, I, my mom is an attorney. I can't discount that part of me. Okay. Um, and I tried so hard not to to be her in a, in a lot of ways. I wanted to use the law differently. But, you know, as I grew older, I saw that she was doing what more of what I wanted to do. And even though as a teen, I kind of judged her and said, oh, I don't want to do that. But, you know, when I peeled back the layers, 
I found a profession that I really loved. So I'd say I had really strong mentors, not only in her, but other people that I met along the way. And I, I just, I really like what I do. I like where I landed. And a lot of it was by mistake because I thought I was going to be an engineer. So, you know, I've kind of just walked the path that was laid in front of me, for lack of a better way of putting it. So you said that you didn't like how your mom was practicing law initially or used the law initially. But then you decided after you got to see it that, hey, that is kind of what I want to do. So what is it that your mom does legally that at the time you didn't appreciate? Well, um, I thought I wanted to be a transactional lawyer. You know, one of the people who kind of negotiate deals and everybody's happy or, you know, built projects. Um, she's the litigator. So okay. She's always, she was doing things where, you know, people are arguing this. Everyone's unhappy. I said, I don't want to do that. But I didn't realize the importance really of having strong advocates, especially for people who can't speak for themselves. Um, and that's really what my mom does. I, and I tried my hardest really to get into transactional work, but transactional work really didn't choose me. It chose Somebody else. So here I am. I'm a litigator as well. Um, and I do a lot of work for um, disabled and people with, um, you know, disabilities. I do a lot of disability work, even though that's not um, the primary largest piece of my practice. So, you know, I, it's funny. You, you never know where you're going to end up. You never know what you're going to end up doing. Yeah, I think one of the things I learned from the one time I actually had to do something with the law on a you know, a, a fairly formal level when I went through my divorce mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. the law is very complicated and it's very strict. So even though it's up to the interpretation of, in divorce court of what the lawyer, not the lawyer, but the judge thinks about what you presented in the materials, it still would have been nice to have had someone who I was paying to advocate and to, you know, make sure that I wasn't making mistakes and, and to look out for my best interest. So, right. you know, I think I think that while, yeah, I understand what you want to be transactional, it is still more noble, I think, to represent people who, to your point, don't have a voice necessarily. So, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, like the I have lots of friends who do awesome transactional work and they're, you know, they're doing, I'm not taking away from what they're doing. Uh, I think they're really, you know, I have a friend who's working in uh, like cannabis work. You know, that's a really big and developing area doing a lot of transactions there I have lots of friends who do real estate mm -hmm. and you know really great things come out and you know you need advocates there as well but um and like I said I tried to choose that work it just it didn't work out for me <laughs> so and 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 I I love to hear that you say that you know that you 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 can see where it may have come in handy to have someone to speak for you because I know that there have been times when I've had to hire an attorney to speak for me because when your own situation is going on you're often not the best person to speak on your own behalf. You know, you can't see it clearly, but someone that you pay usually can. Yeah, that's true. So speaking of that, you know, paying an attorney, let me ask you this question because I've always wondered this and I, I just would be curious and to get your professional opinion about this. So if I'm looking to hire an attorney to build that relationship as, as a person to advocate for me, what are some things, important things, that I need to consider when I hire a particular attorney or a lawyer? Well, first you want to ask them what their specialty is and if they do that work. Because if they don't, they're going to spend a lot of hours trying to figure it out. 
Okay. Um, so like you, you don't necessarily want to hire me to be, to be your criminal defense attorney. I'll come down there and talk to you and help you out, Jameson, but you don't want me doing your hearing because I have no idea. I'm going to be billing you for hours trying to read and figure out what to say. So you want somebody who, who has worked in that specialty before who can kind of know the law and is going to get up there and not waste your time trying to figure out the best way to um, present your case. Um, the next thing I would say is you probably want somebody familiar with your forum or the court that you're in. Okay. I do a lot of work in Fulton and DeKalb and some in Clayton. Um, and, and people down there are starting to know me. So that's good. You know, um, it doesn't always matter. You don't have to have somebody who's local. But that's one thing that I think sometimes can play to your advantage. Um, you know, and I work for some people in Fulton County. So people know me there, you know, there as well. Um, and the last thing I'd say you look for is someone someone that you, you want to interview them as well. When you um, have your consultation, you want to ask them questions. You ask them the tough questions. You interview them as if it's a job. You know, what are you going to do if X, Y, Z happens? You know, what are my what are my legal rights? You know, am I entitled to a refund if any of these things happen? So you, you take it seriously. You go in with your questions just like any scenario and be prepared to pick out a person that you feel answered your questions most clearly and who you felt most comfortable with. Yeah, I think that's something that's important to highlight. You talked about the different areas of the law. That was something I had to learn when I began to, you know, look for an attorney to help me with some of the basics of getting my divorce finalized. And what you realize is just like doctors have different areas of medicine that they practice in where you wouldn't go to a podiatrist if you had a cardi a cardiological issue, you right. wouldn't go to, to your point, you wouldn't go to a criminal attorney if you had a uh, benefits, like you talked about disability advocacy case going on, because it's just different areas of the law. And also to your point, the familiarity of the lawyer with the particular area that you're going to you know, court in, that has right. a big deal uh, to do with it because I know when I went and found the particular law firm who will remain nameless because they really sucked at their job, but, uh, <laughs> they, uh, they, they just didn't know, um, the court that well. Yeah. So when, you know, I had these basic questions <laughs> about my uh, paperwork that I turned in for my divorce and I, and I even redlined it because, you know, to anybody who's out there listening, if you have any type of a legal document that you have to sign, and you're having it prepared on your behalf by an attorney, which is what I did with this particular situation, then you need to read it just like you wrote it. And if you right. have any questions about what's in it, you need to uh, highlight it and send it back to your attorney who prepared it. So right. when I when I did that, one of the things that I had highlighted was some language that made it, a, some language that basically said that my wife would get everything that I have and I would get everything that she has. And... It read that way to me as a layman. So I said, hey, this this reads kind of funny. Is this worded correctly? And the attorney just flippantly replied back, oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's worded correctly. So when I turned the paperwork into the judge, thankfully, the judge said, hey, uh, Mr. Smallwood, I don't think this is exactly what you intend to happen here. So I'm going to give you a chance to go back and get this corrected. Um, and, you know, and, and just briefly, as we move away from this topic, one of the things that you have to understand is that in certain legal procedures it becomes very time consuming when you don't have things done correctly so having yeah. 
having to wait another 30 days, or in one case, I had to wait, I think, like 45 days before I could go back up to the courthouse, it, it gets to be exhausting. And and in my particular county, where I reside, they uh, they basically are very much pro-family, so they are anti-divorce. You can kind of tell that from how they handle people who are filing for divorce. So they will intentionally make you wait, you know, longer to go through that process so that you have some cooling down time to decide if that's exactly what you really want to do. So, you know, they, they don't grant divorces quickly and some other counties they do, but not in my particular county. So, but, uh, it's important to know, have somebody who knows the law in the particular area that you need. And also the law, you know, be, be known geographically in this community of the people who are practicing law in the area that you live in. So, so I think those are good. I think that's a good, uh, good bit of wisdom in terms of how to hire an attorney. So now let me ask you this and, 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 and I guess this question is kind of open-ended. So, you know, take your time with answering it and just think through it if you want to, but how would you describe your legal philosophy? And I'm not talking about necessarily liberal or conservative, but you know, at the heart, of, at the at your heart of who you are, Melanie, what would you say is your approach to being a, an attorney for people? Wow, that's that's a difficult question. Um, it's a great question for the podcast. <laughs> it is, it is. But you know, it's interesting. I was kind of talking about this today. I did defense work, you know, up until last year. This is the first time that I'm really stepping into the shoes of the plaintiff. And, um, you know, before my, my approach was really cold and really fact-driven because I was dealing with clients who were a lot more uh, like corporate clients, you know, I was dealing with people who, um, you know, came from different, you know, pretty highly educated backgrounds who might have been, you know, professionals that hired me to defend, you know, a company or, you know, a particular government agency. So that's totally different. So I've had and I've really struggled with this. I've really had to, you know, re-examine who I was as a lawyer recently. Um, but my approach is I want to be the lawyer that I would want to hire. Mm-hmm. I work really hard to, you know, I spend a lot more time than most people would talking to my clients, making sure that they understand what's happening, um, making them aware, um, especially my personal injury clients. You know, you hear a lot, there's a lot of People who, you know, you can turn on the radio now and you'll hear people singing about, you know, my wreck, my check, you know. Okay. And I get a lot of the clients who've left those firms because no one will call them back. No one will tell them what's going on. They just kind of throw them into a pile. And I'm not saying they're not good lawyers in those firms, but that's not the type of lawyer I would want to have. So that's not the type of lawyer I want want to be. So what drives me, I would say my legal philosophy is to be the lawyer that I would want to hire and to really to sit down and to be the best advocate and to give a voice to those who may. And you're saying, okay, I know people are thinking when you get in a car accident, what voice do you need? Well, you know, I think we underestimate the amount of pain that even like medium to you know severe impacts can cause people. And then they're out of their vehicles. Um, they can't get back and forth to work. And a lot of large firms don't even help you with that. They're like, okay, you figure out your property damage part. But I'm willing, I do that for my clients as well. I, I sit down and say, okay, let's let's figure out your transportation this week. Um, you know, let's, let's figure out how you can get back and forth to the doctor. So these are the things that, you know, they don't necessarily make me any more money. But I would, if when I'm, I've been in bad situations, people have helped me. 
So I really, really think that the, the key that makes me who I am as an attorney is that I work hard to step into my client's shoes. Yeah, I think that's the thing is you want to have someone who will understand and empathize with you because when you go through issues legally, they have real human consequences at the end of them, especially when you start talking about, you know, working for individuals as opposed to, like you said, larger entities, like maybe a business or a corporation or something like that. So you want to have somebody who is, is going to understand your perspective, what you've been going through, how it, how it inconveniences you. And in some ways kind of make you feel, you know, understood that, Hey, you know, this is what we're going to pursue and this is how we're going to correct the issue, you know? And right. so, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. So, right. so let me ask you um, a, a couple, maybe some common legal questions that people get. So, you know, for right right now in the state of Georgia, they're coming up with this new law, uh, the first of July. That's a hands free cell phone situation. No, I'm not looking forward to that at all. But um, <laughs> well, continue. well, why aren't you looking forward to that at all? Is that like a professional reason or that's like a personal reason? Well, both. I think <laughs> I think personally, yes, it's going to be very difficult for me to put my phone down. Even um, even though I know it's for the best, because a lot I see a lot of people who do get into accidents. You know, texting and driving happens every day because you really can't divide your attention well between paying attention to the flow of traffic, especially you're on the interstate no. and looking at your phone. So, yes, please do put down your phone. But the reason I, I and I, I, I'm not trying to make politics into this at all, but I feel like it's going to bring more. Um, it's going to give more reason for people to get pulled over, to be honest. More police um, escalate the police. Um, yeah. Citizen engagements. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, how, most people are, are not going to listen. They're going to be holding their phone. Um, and I think I'm, as the way I read it, you can't even be the only reason you can look at it, I think, is for navigation. But even if they're going to have to pull you over to figure out why you were looking at it, you know, so I, that's the part that makes me cringe a little bit. I feel like we're going to have more um, more interaction with the police that may or may not go well. Um, and I, from a, from a personal injury standpoint, there probably will be more accidents, you know, um, I know this is designed to prevent them, but I think that there's going to be more people who, um, are going to rely on those. What do you call those? Uh, what is, what's the way that you get around it? Now you can buy the things that talk to you, but I feel like those are just as distracting. I see a lot of people who get into accidents, listening and talking to those as well. So I'm not sure that's a good workaround. So there, there's a lot of complexities that I think are going to come out of this. New yeah. Development. yeah. I'm, I'm sort of, I think it's just another form of taxation, to be honest with you. So I think yeah. all of those traffic citations are just a form of taxation where, oh, you're speeding and we're going to charge you $100 because you were speeding and give you a stern lecture about, you know, speeding is dangerous. Oh, you didn't have your seatbelt on. Here's another fine, you know. So I think it's just more taxation. And to your point, it brings the citizenry in and the police into contact when it's probably completely unnecessary. But, uh, you know, that's the new, that's the new angle to collect right. money from people. So I know. agree. I definitely agree. And I just, I'm hoping that, um, the laws aren't fair sporely, I mean, fairly, if that makes sense too. So yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Just, we'll just see how it comes, how it, how it shakes out. Yeah. We'll definitely see how it goes. We have to just encourage people to put their phones down. 
So now let's transition, Melanie, and 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 talk a little bit more about the law firm that you're starting. What what gave you the the heart to want to start a law firm? It's it's so funny, Jameson. I didn't have the heart to start it really. Um, I had worked for uh, I was in private practice for a while. Okay. Then I left and went to um, the federal government where I was for several years. Okay. Um, and like I said, my mom was an is an attorney. And she had a practice, and she, you know, kind of decided she wanted to semi-retire, not really retired. So she and I worked something out where I would come on board and kind of run my own practice within hers, mm-hmm. kind of do my own thing in her space. Um, and what's happened is we've worked together so well over the past few months that um, she's like, well, hey, why don't I just make you a partner? You know, we'll share profit. We'll really, you know, and eventually I'll kind of just fade myself out of here. Um, and, and, and it works well, you know, I didn't think that I would want to be in a part, like a family partnership, but, um, I, I really am enjoying it. I'm, I'm managing my own cases, my own files and, and, um, I'm really doing it on my own. So that, that part's exciting. And, you know, I have some overflow from, um, other family sources that feed us cases as well. So it's great. Well, I think that's the legacy piece, right? Your mom, she's built up a practice and it's nice to have someone in the family, especially her daughter, that she can just sort of hand it over to. Definitely, you know, and I think there are a lot of, um, you know, I've looked at this and I think I don't want to necessarily push my own children into the law, but if they did, I'd be so excited to be able to hand the practice to them one day. And, you know, that's what I'm working towards, even if they, they don't, you know, want to be lawyers or anything even close. It, it's just still a dream that in the back of my mind I'm thinking about. And I think it was kind of always in the back of my mom's mind, too. Like, even when she opened her first practice, there was an office in the back that's always been empty. She's never really been able to rent it. She says, well, maybe one day this will be your office. And I kind of laughed for years, but, you know, I'm in there now. So it, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's cool. The, um, you know, I think that's going to be obviously a good thing for you and it gives you obviously ownership and it gives you the ability to be a small business owner at the same time as to help people and to craft what you want your legal resume to look like because you can decide who you want to help and who you don't want to help. And yeah, I think it's going to be just, I think it's going to be a good thing. I always support, you know, black entrepreneurship. So. Right. Well, that that's good. And I think that's, you said something key. Um, you know, I think we need to work hard to do that. You know, the, we, we've got to make sure that we not I don't want to say that we have to support our own because that's cliche. But I think it, it's it's a good start for us to at least be partially interested in supporting, if not um, our community, but at least our friends. I think that's a great place to start, you know, even by getting people to listen to your podcast. We're supporting each other. You know, I, I, and I think that's yep. the beginning of, of, of really being, building something strong. Well, I always tell people I'm, you know, you know, I always I tell, I don't really say this on the podcast too much, but because I don't want to sound like a whiny person complaining about people either listening or not listening to his podcast. But you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, it would be nice if your friends were very supportive of what you do. But it goes back to something we said off air: is that you got to create a product that's compelling, and you got to, you know, right. you got to treat it just, you got to treat them just like anybody else who's not. Uh, you know, attached to you or in relationship with you in some way. So that's kind of how I treat my friends. I feel like if I get my friends to start listening to my podcast, then I've actually started to win. So 
Yeah, you know. I agree. So build it and they will come. But uh right. yeah, but you should always support your family and friends and I believe that is is a huge issue in our community in general that we don't do enough of that. You know, people talk all day about, you know, being woke and helping people, but you know, at the end of the day, they have people they know who are trying to do stuff like maybe just have maybe who just have like a lemonade stand and they won't go and buy a cup of lemonade from them. So, well, you know what, though, Jameson, you say that, but, you know, your friends and even myself included, we we I think we and I'm not going to speak for everybody. But when you had the cheesecake thing going, I thought oh, that yeah. was awesome. And I, I really hope you go back to that. Like, I would love to, like you know, one day help you with the IPO for, you know, Jameson's cheesecakes. So I think that that's going to be like huge. And maybe you'll hire my firm as like in-house counsel because I totally see that as something that you, your cheesecake is unmatched. So I'm hoping that one day you'll get back into that. That's a, that's a small talk uh, conversation topic right there. Cheesecakes by Jameson. <laughs> the, the podcast <laughs> listeners don't know about that. But, well, uh, I, I just put them on. I just put them on. This is true. This is true. Let, before I wrap up this conversation, Melanie, and, and we get into small talk stuff, let me ask you a question I'm sure my listeners are going to want to know about. So think of your most, I guess, exciting or interesting legal case that you can discuss and kind of give us a general gist of it so that we kind of have an idea of what your life in the law has been like the last couple of years. One that I can discuss. Okay. You don't yeah, have to use, hard. Yeah, you don't have to use real names and stuff, but like just kind of like the general area of what you were into. You don't have to go into too many specifics, but just something to kind of give us a gist of what a disability attorney is, you know, looking at in a in a, in a day-to-day kind of walk in the law. Well, okay, I can give you one that's kind of interesting. Um, like I said, I do personal injury disability and workers comp as like my three main areas okay and i had one case that spanned them all um and this is not funny it's really not but i I find myself you know wanting to laugh a little bit just at the scenario there was a young lady who was really trying to better herself you know um she was on her way to fill out a job application she completed she completed the application and they say, okay, we'll hire you, you know, pending passing of a drug test. Okay. She walks, she, she leaves the building and goes to walk across the street and is hit by a car. Oh, wow. Right. So um, there was a workers' comp aspect that I had to argue in that case. I had to argue that she was an employee. So, of course, the corporation is saying, well, no, she wasn't. She didn't finish the application. And my point was, well, she was on her way to fill out a drug test. And you said that had she finished, you know, had she uh, passed that test, she would have had the job. So there was that argument that I had to make. Um, personal injury came into play because, you know, the, the young lady was hit by a third party and sustained serious injury. And then the disability part came in because she's going to have like a permanent you know, permanent disability as a result of that. So that's probably one of my most interesting cases because it really brought in several aspects of the law to help this lady in as many ways as I possibly could. Um, you know, I probably have something sexier that I could think about, but that one was most fun for me because I, I really got to sit down and think about it from so many different angles. I got to help her. And I, at the end of the day, you know, she didn't, she just knew she got hit on, you know, while trying to get a job. She didn't really know 
you know, what her remedies would be. Mm-hmm. So she was, you know, really relying on me to figure it out. So I, I really enjoyed that case a lot. And, you know, she, she got good results on all fronts. So, um, that's cool. Yeah. That those kind of cases. And I, I mean, I have a lot more of things like that, but that was the one I think that went the best and that I enjoy working through the most. No, I think that, I think that kind of is a good place to wrap up a lady who was applying for a job who basically had a, had a verbal offer, walks across the street, gets hit by hit by a car, and now she's disabled. Yes. Plus, she's got a bodily injury claim, and she's trying to go after um, some benefits from the company who she was involved with working with when she got hurt. So, I mean, yeah, that that, that sounds really that does sound really involved. Yeah. So, yes, it was, it was, and I mean, I would definitely um, not wishing this on anyone, but um, you know, I think that because of my work in that taught me a lot and i'm well prepared for those types of cases in the future yeah so so let me um let me ask you this do you have any contact information for people who want to reach out to you and you know ask you for legal counsel and get your uh, services how can they get in touch with you sure um the best way to do it is to leave a, to call our office at 470-344-LAW-1 um or you can um, visit our website, Law Help Atlanta, and that's Law H E L P Atlanta, and you spell Atlanta out dot com. And the site is under construction; it needs a little work. I'm hoping that my dear friend Jameson might give us some 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 hands and help there as well. Um, but those are the best ways to reach me, and I look forward to talking to anyone who might want to pick my brain. I love. I'm kind of a nerd, so I love legal answer, legal questions. So depending, I look forward to people reaching out to me. Cool, cool. And depending on what you need in front, in terms of a website, uh, Small with Technical Solutions may be able to offer you some. Uh, Good, some, and some I good. hope that there'll be cheesecake as well. Well, you know, it all depends on all depends on who's going to pay the invoice. So. <laughs> that's where it comes back to so no but uh yeah i'm so glad melanie we could catch up and you know we could kind of talk a little bit about your career and and your profession and just what you've got going on because i always tell people culture and conversations is really me just sort of bringing my social network to life in audible format so people can hear it hear these conversations with the people i know because i know a lot of people you know what i mean so that's just kind of how we roll so yeah that's awesome so, Millie, thank you for being part of the conversation. Thanks, Jameson, for having me. I had fun. Well, we want to thank Melanie Williams for stopping by and being part of the conversation. Hey, guys, go by Facebook and look up the Culture in Conversations Facebook page. Maybe you don't know Facebook, so go over to Instagram and do the exact same thing, Culture and Conversations And if you want to send the show an email, you can do so via cultureandconversations at gmail.com. Guys, we are headed into the home stretch. We are only a few weeks away from the end of 2018, which means I've got to keep up the momentum and we're going to charge forward into 2019 with Culture and Conversations. This has been a great year, guys, and I'm so glad you've been rocking with me. And as my goddaughter would say, My goddaddy made this. That's right. You guys be good out there. Stay blessed and get ready to eat some great food going into Thanksgiving. Peace.